Welcome to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. I am Axel Addy, former chief negotiator of Liberia's accession to the WTO and founding member of the Trade for Peace program. Trade for Peace is a 30-minute podcast in conversation with Trade for Peace champions, the global policymakers, entrepreneurs, and innovators committed to promoting trade as a key ingredient for lasting peace. Join us in our bi-monthly podcast as we discuss how trade is contributing to sustainable peace in fragile and conflict-affected countries. Welcome to Trade for Peace. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome one of the champions of Trade for Peace, Ambassador Alan Wolf, Deputy Director General of the WTO. Prior to Alan's appointment as DDG, Alan served as the Chairman of the National Foreign Trade Council, an institution created by President Wilson in 1914 to support open international trade. Alan also served in the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative and the U.S. Treasury Department. Today, we also have with us another champion of trade for peace, Mr. Mohammed Korban Hakjo, Afghanistan's first ambassador and permanent representative to the WTO. Prior to Mohammed's appointment as ambassador, he served as Afghanistan's deputy minister of commerce. And much before that, he was the president and CEO of the Afghanistan Investment Support Agency. But more recently, we know Mohammed for his leadership role as the coordinator of the G7 Plus WTO Accessions Group and as an ardent supporter and champion of the Trade for Peace program. In today's episode, we delve into the past, the present, and the future of the Trade for Peace program. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us and welcome to the first episode of the Trade for Peace podcast. Now, let me start with a question I'd like to ask all our guests, and I would like to start with you, Alan. What does trade for peace mean to you? How did you become so interested in the linkage between trade and peace? Thank you, Axel. It's a pleasure to be with you today. I've had a long interest in, of course, trade policy. I've been in the field for many, many decades, but also in U.S. foreign policy. And I was interested in how the two came together, what was the strand that was involved. And I went back and I looked at uh, various times when peace had been a major part of the involvement of U.S. foreign policy with trade. And I found out that Woodrow Wilson and his 14 points at the peace conference in Versailles, one of them was to remove as far as possible, I'm quoting, all economic barriers and the establishment of an equality of trade conditions among all the nations consenting to the peace and associating themselves for its maintenance. And this all got put together at a a talk I gave at American University in February of 2018. Uh, And I traced the history of peace in the US foreign policy series of uh, administrations. Cordell Hull, Uh, who is the major proponent of the the link between trade and peace, the Secretary of State for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. In 1938, he had the following. Our nation, every nation, can enjoy sustained prosperity only in a world 
at peace. A peaceful world is possible only when there exists for it a solid economic foundation, an indispensable part of which is active and mutually beneficial trade among nations. Well, I didn't know that existed. I was in the trade field for a very long time in the U.S. government and in the private practice of law, and I chaired the National Foreign Trade Council, as Axel has said. And this linkage didn't occur to me. It wasn't very prominent. And no one mentions it nowadays. Uh, but there it was back at that time in 1938 between the wars. And then Churchill and Roosevelt came together at Argentia Bay in August of 1941 with what they had as the goals, their objectives in fighting the Second World War. Mind you, the U.S. wasn't in the Second World War at that moment. That came several months later. And one of the points they raised, they had six points in this Atlantic Charter. They will endeavor to further enjoyment by all states, great and small, victor or vanquished, of access on equal terms to the trade and to the raw materials of the world which are needed for economic prosperity. So they saw a linkage between the war aims and putting together a world that was quite different than what had come before that had resulted in the First World War and then the Second World War. After the war, the next chapter in this story is the nations of the world coming together, the victors primarily, coming together at Bretton Woods to, to create the fund and the bank. And they went to Havana, Cuba, and they wanted to create an international trade organization. And interestingly, the opening words of the Havana Charter, what they put together, was recognizing the determination of the United Nations to create conditions of stability and well-being which are necessary for peaceful and friendly relations among nations. The parties to this charter undertake in the fields of trade and employment to cooperate with each other and with the United Nations. So they're talking about stability and well-being necessary for peaceful and friendly relations. And they're tying it to trade, which is interesting because that doesn't exist in the GATT. It didn't exist in quite the same way in the founding of the WTO, but this is our heritage in the uh, opening words of the International Trade Organization's charter. I looked for when presidents of the United States referred to peace and trade together. And President Carter, just after the end of the Tokyo round of multilateral trade negotiations, a round in which I was involved somewhat, and when I was in the government at the US Trade Representative Office, Carter said, Strengthening the system of trade, which links the nations of our increasingly interdependent world through a multilateral trade agreement that would contribute to the enhancement of peace among all the nations of the Western world. That I found very interesting. I paid no attention to it at the time when I was uh, just out of government, uh, when he said that in 1981. And still, this thread of U.S. policy that tied peace together with trade was evident when there was a decision to extend permanent normal trade relations to China in 2001. And Lee Hamilton, a former member of Congress who was director of the Woodrow Wilson Center, a very distinguished gentleman, said the following, extending PNTR, permanent normal trade relations, to China and bringing Beijing into the World Trade Organization are firmly in America's interest, Together, these steps will eliminate many barriers to U.S. exports, kind of thing one says to a domestic audience, and investment in China, integrate China more deeply into the world economy, foster positive change within China, 
and enhance the prospects for peace and security in Asia and the world. So again, peace and trade came together. It is, and I give you the last quote in the series of the history of in U.S. trade, foreign policy of trade and peace. This is in U.S. law. It was adopted in 2002. It's still U.S. law. I don't know that anyone knows it's there, but I came across it anyway. This is the Congress makes the following findings. This is in the basic trade authority that the U.S. Congress, which has the power over commerce, it is the branch of government responsible for it, which it gave a grant of authority for negotiations to the executive branch, to the president and his representatives. And it said the expansion of international trade is vital to the national security of the United States. And then it ends with leadership by the United States in international trade fosters open markets, democracy, and peace throughout the world. Again, this uh, linkage, which is embedded in U.S. law, it is what U.S. negotiators should be paying attention to. It's what the Congress should be grading agreements by. And so in the U.S. history, which is not really very prominent nowadays, uh, not thought of all that much, the linkage between trade and peace is extremely important and central to foreign policy in the United States and U.S. trade policy. Thank you very much for the historical insight on the linkage of trade and peace. But I would like to go a little bit deeper, Alan. Are there examples uh, that come to mind of trade and peace being applied as national policies? In this search that I undertook for looking for where trade and peace emerged in various situations in relations within countries and between countries, I uh, think about the fact that in my home in Maryland, I am on a relatively high piece of land looking out across the Potomac River to Virginia. This was the dividing line in the Civil War, which was the bloodiest conflict in the history of the United States, its own civil war, as far as the U.S. was concerned. The, you look out from my house and you look at enemy territory, at least in the early 1860s, and you think about borders uh, that have existed from time to time. When I was a college student, I traveled to Berlin. It was really serendipity. I was not intending, didn't know what I wanted to do. I had some time to kill before taking a course uh, on European integration at a university in Holland. So I went to uh, Berlin. I landed at the airport. I said to the cab driver, using my best high school German, take me to the Brandenburg Gate. And he drove towards the center of the city. And he said, this is as close as we can get because the Brandenburg Gate was surrounded by barbed wire and the place had tanks and the place was crawling with troops of all nationalities. Later, I climbed the stairs to look over the Berlin Wall and uh, it had just gone up six months earlier. And there were two parallel walls. It's not just one wall. And there was a no man's land in between. And on the other side were Volkspolizei, the, the East German soldiers. And there were reeds on the ground where those who had tried to escape who didn't make it, they were shot down. That's where they were. So here was a divided part of the world. And it turned out on looking into the question further that the West German side of Germany tried to use trade as a means of dealing with the East Germans. And they had two purposes. They wanted to help the East Germans not be completely dependent upon the Soviet Union. 
but to have a degree of economic interdependence between the East and West part of Germany and to ease eventual reunification and prevent the complete absorption of the East German economy into the Soviet bloc. What did they do? They bought goods from the East German producers, such as typewriters, cameras, foodstuffs, and coal. The policy was successful. That doesn't mean it brought about a reunification of Germany by itself. It didn't. But it helped maintain a somewhat less uneasy peace. This was also tried with Korea and North Korea with less success, but it was tried. And during the Cold War, U.S. President Richard Nixon and uh, Henry Kissinger, the Secretary of State, wanted to use trade as a tool for building relationships where they could be built with the Soviet Union to reduce the danger of nuclear war. And uh, so they had a grain agreement, they had a tariff agreement, and ultimately in 1991, a a U.S.-Russian trade agreement. And it was an experiment that worked. Uh, you, you have relations where you can among countries, and you make it a little less likely to have the same level of hostility, or maybe a lot less likely. So along came in this story what we do here, and um, there's time I would like to get into that. Well, thank you, Alan, for providing such a rich historical context of the linkage of trade and peace. Now over to you, Mohammed. What does trade for peace mean to you? Thank you, Axel, for the opportunity. Yes, indeed, Ambassador Wolf provided some really interesting examples of trade and peace linkage. Adding to that, coming from Afghanistan, I would like to say that decades of long wars and conflicts leave behind a legacy of fractured societies, social frictions, and collapse of the economic foundation, which leads countries to live in extreme poverty, mass unemployment, illiteracy, lack of security, and epidemics that become their stigma. When I think about a country in conflict, I think there are several issues directly linked to being in conflict. Poor governance, poor physical and legal infrastructure, corruption, lack of democratic values, poor public service delivery, poor rule of law, low rate of economic development, huge trade and financial deficit, lack of security, safety for citizens, and huge migration of human capital. You can just name it. In my opinion, one of the ways to emerge out of conflict is through development and trade and participation in international organizations like the WTO. Meaningful and effective participation in WTO can help address these challenges. Enhanced cooperation between WTO members, acceding governments, and development partners has the potential to support fragile and conflict-affected states to ensure their faster integration. It's very interesting to see peace issues talked about in WTO not only being talked, but it has also been institutionalized in the form of the Trade for Peace initiative. You are absolutely right, Mohammed. It is interesting to see the linkage of trade and peace being discussed in the WTO and see a push to institutionalize the Trade for Peace program. I do believe the program is another innovation that translates WTO commitments at the highest level into impact in fragile and conflict-affected countries, thereby impacting lives in those countries. I want to thank uh, both of you for championing this program. I think you've laid the foundation for our conversation today. Now over to you, Alan. I know you've been in the forefront of driving this conversation within the organization, but I would like to know what is the origin of the current Trade for Peace program? Well, besides our history, going back to the Havana Charter, which I say is it's there when you look for it, but it, it certainly is not uh, dominant. 
in our uh, relations among countries. The multilateral trading system was founded to help underwrite the stability of countries that had been at war, to create economic development, create economic integration, and lend greater possibility for the maintenance of peace. And today, starting about four years ago, a group of fragile and conflict-affected countries came together. Uh, it was at 11th Ministerial Conference of the WTO. These conferences are supposed to happen every two years. This one was in December of 2017 in Buenos Aires. And Comoros, Sao Tome, and Principe, Somalia, South Sudan, Timor-Leste, came together with some recently exceeding countries, meaning those who had recently joined the WTO, Afghanistan, Liberia, and Yemen, to make the case that trade and economic integration can be employed to promote inclusive and sustainable peace for their countries. And they're very enthusiastic about it. They called their group the G7 Plus WTO Accessions Group. Axel, you were there, present at the creation, and you've been supportive of the group ever since its inception. And the group reminds us of why we had this multilateral trade organization to begin with. It wasn't just to lower tariffs for the benefit of consumers and for the benefit of exporters. It was to help stabilize war-torn Europe and Asia, devastated by two world wars and a depression in between. And at the time, what I said was the following, I quote, conflict or post-conflict status is not the usual topic for WTO members, not even at ministerial conferences. That's very true, by the way. But for these countries, the pursuit by these countries of WTO membership, despite the challenges, reminds us of the critical contribution that the multilateral trading system can make to the peace and stability of nations. It's okay for me to say that, and whether that has traction or not, that's another question. Trade and peace are inseparable, and it's true for Sudan and South Sudan. We had at one meeting in Africa, the two ambassadors of Sudan and South Sudan sitting next to each other on a panel, and they agreed trade and peace are inseparable. Trade is peace. Uh, there is no trade without peace. And actually, sometimes the chance of peace is not as great if you don't have trade. So what we have today is testimony that's eloquent from those who are fragile and conflict-affected, who believe strongly that their future, many of these countries, oh, maybe a dozen of those who are in the queue to accede to the WTO, have had recent conflicts or have current conflicts or problems now where they're fragile, and they uniformly understand and agree that trade is essential to their future of stability and their quest for peace. Yes, indeed, Alan. Trade is essential to the future stability of fragile and conflict-affected countries. And indeed, the multilateral trading system does have a critical role to play in promoting peace and stability in these countries. Thank you, Alan, for taking us through the origins of the Trade for Peace program. You are listening to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. We will be right back after a short break.
And we're back with Ambassador Alan Wolf, Deputy Director General at the WTO, and Ambassador Mohammed Hajjo, former ambassador and permanent representative of Afghanistan to the WTO, two champions of the Trade for Peace program. Alan, you touched on the incubator role of the G7 Plus WTO Accessions Group in the Trade for Peace program. I would like to now turn to you, Mohammed, for your reflections on the origins of the group. Thank you, Axel, and thank you to Ambassador Wolf, who gave a great historical overview of the Trade for Peace initiative. With this idea as its basis, the G7 Plus WTO Accessions Group was inaugurated at the WTO Ministerial Conference in Buenos Aires in December 2017, as previously mentioned by Ambassador Wolf. It's obvious that each fragile and conflict-affected state has a specific set of needs and circumstances. Hence, the group serves as a platform for targeted facilitation and tailored support for the WTO accession and post-accession efforts of fragile and conflict-affected states. It aims at coordinating efforts to support them and maximize the benefits of their WTO membership through experience sharing, peer learning, and outreach programs on trade for peace. Thank you, Mohammed, for providing such insights on the history of the G7 Plus Accession Group. For you, our listeners out there, let me explain the WTO accession process. Currently, the WTO has 164 members, and 23 countries are in the process of joining the organization. The accession process is essentially an institution-building process based on the principles of non-discrimination, predictability, transparency, and the rule of law. It emphasizes the presence of necessary policy and legal frameworks and practices required to create a conducive business environment. It encourages the presence of conditions that can help move a country out of a state of fragility or conflict into a state of stability and economic well-being. The accession process can also be used as a rebranding exercise, as was in the case with Liberia's accession to attract foreign investment. Now, Mohammed, could you tell us a little bit more about the experiences of your own country, Afghanistan, as a fragile and conflict-affected state that recently acceded to the WTO. How has Afghanistan used the WTO accession process as a peace-building tool? Sure, Axel. Um, Afghanistan became a WTO member uh, in July 2016 after over 11 years of negotiations. WTO accession was a new undertaking for us. We had very little experience in the multilateral trading system. Nevertheless, given our LDC and post-conflict status, Afghanistan's accession was successful and positive in terms of the expansion of market access, legal and institutional reforms, policy adaptation, and catching up with the rest of the world. However, a lot still needs to be done to maximize on our membership. We need to mobilize resources to address the human and institutional capacity needs and issues related to quality of production. We need to diversify our economic outputs uh, and particularly export. We look at the WTO membership as a tool to contribute to peace building and the creation of a sound economic foundation. We realize that international trade is a universal instrument for economic growth, employment and development. As I have already mentioned before, conflict leaves behind fractured societies, social frictions, economic collapse, resulting in poverty and unemployment, illiteracy, and lack of security, which contributes to further stigma and isolation of such countries. 
Speaking of NATO forces uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, I want to convey the message here that we need to replace soldiers with traders and achieve long-lasting peace in Afghanistan. WTO-related structural reforms give fragile and conflict-affected countries the opportunity to rebuild their economies and put in place credible economic and institutional frameworks, which enhance transparency and good governance. These reforms have served as a critical component for rebuilding Afghanistan's economy and institutions. Thank you, Mohammed, for sharing with us the moving experiences of Afghanistan and the inspiring way it is using WTO accession as a peace-building tool. I really like the phrase, replacing soldiers with traitors. Could you elaborate a little bit more on that? How has this idea been translated into action in Afghanistan? Um, Axel, if you look at the conflict and how trade impacts peace, there are three levels of impact. At the national level, at the regional level, and at the global level. I have already spoken about the linkage uh, at the global level through the role of the WTO. So let me delve into the impact of trade at the national and regional level. Afghanistan has experienced conflict, violence, and organized crime at the national level. If all of these are addressed, we could solve the problem of growth and economic development in Afghanistan and provide an opportunity for its citizens to explore and tap into their business and entrepreneurial potential. This is one thing that we have experienced and tried to address from the beginning. With the help of the international community, we developed a national program called the National Solidarity Program, which covered those fragile and rural areas most affected by the conflict. Through the national program, we try to rebuild the infrastructure, boost entrepreneurship, and try to connect the isolated communities with neighborhoods by bringing their products to key cities from where they could then be exported. This is a very important peace-building strategy to address the issue of peace-building through trade at the national level. If you look at the regional level, Neighbors could easily go to war, but choose to live in peace through trade and cross-national projects. Afghanistan experience with the regional cross-border trade and also currently undergoing regional mega-investment projects such as Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, Pakistan, India, gas pipeline, and the electricity transmission line from Central Asia to South Asia are a testament to how trade and investment can really increase the cost of war. If the countries involved go to war, their investment will be at rest. If you create trade opportunities in the region and create an independence amongst the regional players, then they will try to their best to keep the peace among themselves. This is how we can actually help conflict-affected countries, by creating synergy and harmony between neighbors by addressing their problems through trade and investment. Thank you, Mohammed, for that example that shows how regional trade and investment can promote peace. I must also commend both of you for your leadership in championing this cause and your insights today on the history of the Trade for Peace program, where it started and where we are today. Now, let's move forward to the future. Mohammed, so what's next? Where do you see this program going and how far do you see it going? Uh, well, as former coordinator of the G7 Plus W2 Accessions Group, I remain engaged with the initiative and invested in its future. Honorable Marvin Dix, a Minister of Commerce and Industry of Liberia, is now assuming the role of the coordinator of the group, and I'm excited to see what the future holds for the initiative. And to you, Alan, 
What do you see as the future of the Trade for Peace program at the WTO? Yes, from the WTO's perspective, trade for peace is not just a part of our remote history. You've heard just now from Ambassador Mohammed Hakcho and Afghanistan has gone through and how he sees from his perspective, his country's perspective, uh, the linkage of trade and peace and to the world trading system and the WTO. So this is not remote history. It's very much a dominant theme for the present and the future for us. In December of 2020, we organized the first edition of the Trade for Peace Week. That involved 59 panelists representing 32 organizations in 15 countries. And it included yourself, Minister Axelotti, who contributed to the week-long event. The discussions highlighted the impact of trade, job creation, and technology on peace building, the negative effects of COVID-19, which is... Uh, really set back the development efforts of quite a number of countries, but particularly the least developed and the conflict affected and the fragile economies. And we talked about the steps necessary to mitigate the effect of the pandemic. We talked about academic research on trade and peace and the complementarities between regional trade agreements and the WTO membership. The event had the following effects. It expanded the network of the trade and peace communities and bridged those two silos. It advanced the discussion on trade for peace towards tangible actions. It identified areas of potential collaboration between the WTO and other international organizations, civil society, and local actors in exceeding countries and regions. It contributed to enhancing international cooperation on trade for peace in the midst of this pandemic. What next steps are there? We think we will have establishment of a trade for peace network, which could be transformed into a working group or a commission. Representatives, for example, would come from the Red Cross, the International Chamber of Commerce, the International Trade Center, Interpeace, the International Labor Organization, the World Bank, the UN Technology Bank, just to name a few of the possible participants. We can prepare a white paper on trade for peace collectively. We can do a briefing for the UN Peacebuilding Commission, and we can develop training materials and modules on the trade and peace linkage. Future episodes of the Trade for Peace podcast will continue the conversation under the leadership of Axel Addy. So I'd encourage the listeners to stay tuned for more important discussions. Thank you very much. It sounds like very exciting times for the Trade for Peace program, and we are looking forward to seeing what comes next for this great project. Ambassador Wolf, Ambassador Hajo, from all of us, we say thank you for your leadership. Well, we have now come to the end of our show, and in today's episode, we touched on the use of trade as a vehicle for peace throughout history and the role of the Trade for Peace program. We also touched on WTO accession process in helping fragile and conflict-affected states emerge from the state of fragility. We heard the experiences of Afghanistan in addressing conflict through trade and investment, and finally, we learned what comes next for the Trade for Peace program. Ambassador Wolf, Ambassador Hajo, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for making time to join us today to share your insights on the history and the future of the Trade for Peace program. I also want to thank you for your leadership in championing this course. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us today on our inaugural podcast on Trade for Peace. I am your host, Axel Addy.
You have been listening to Trade for Peace, brought to you by the WTO's Trade for Peace program. Subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. For more episodes, visit us at www.tradeforpeace.podbean.com. Be sure to tune in every other week for new episodes. Thanks for listening to Trade for Peace.